0: Good morning, very warm welcome to all of you, a few uh, spare spaces this week, got quite a few on holiday I think, but it's good to see a good number still here. Very warm welcome if you're a visitor, great to have you with us and uh, for those of you watching online as well, really good to have you with us uh, celebrating and worshipping God this morning. Obviously last week was a bit different after... Spring Bible weekend, but we're carrying on our series uh, this morning in Nehemiah. So this morning we're in Nehemiah chapter 6 and 7, and the title is Doing a Great Work. Doing a Great Work. So looking forward to John, our pastor, speaking on that a little bit later in the service. Just a couple of uh, notices, just quickly, we're at the beginning. Uh, so there's a lost property table out in the foyer. Uh, I have been told that um, if it's not taken soon, it will be disposed of or given away um, so well worth having a look at. There will also be a sort of continual lost property um, area in the foyer as well, uh, but things won't stay there for long. So if you do lose something, have a, have a look there um, and hopefully you'll find it before it gets given away. There's also Hope Explored. Uh, so this course, many of you will have heard of it, some of you may not have done. Um, it's an informal, relaxed three-week course. Uh, there's some details up on the screen for you now. So the next course is from the 6th to the 13th, 20th of June. There's uh, these digital flyers or these ones as well. So do take them if you can hand them out to people. People have really enjoyed it in the past, found it very helpful, so I really recommend that. If you want to find out more about what we believe about Christianity, take one of those, sign up to that. It'd be great. Also, next Sunday... We've got the baptism of Ella Watts, so we're really looking forward to that. So come and celebrate with us to what God has done in Ella's life. Um, so at the normal time, we've got a baptism service next Sunday morning. And then finally, uh, we're very thankful that as a church we've got two more deacons, and uh, after the second song, John and I are going to invite them up the front, and we're just going to pray for them as they take on their new role. So just to make you aware that that will be coming up after the second song. Well, let us pray and ask God to be with us and help us this morning. Lord God, we thank you that we've been able to join together again this morning. Lord, thank you for bringing us safely here. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted. Lord, we are so free to be able to meet. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you guide us, you command us to meet together. And Lord, I pray that we would come with a sense of anticipation. Lord, of meeting you in a special way. Lord, of worshipping you, of hearing from you, of being able to pray to you. So Lord, I pray that that we'd have ears to hear this morning. Lord, that our hearts would be tender, ready to hear what you've got to say to us. Lord, I pray that what we hear... Lord, would really impact our lives. Lord, as we go into the week, Lord, it would really make a difference to our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing, and we're going to sing a song, really, that praises the God of the ages, the God of the, the past, the God of the present, the God of the future. It's throughout all of history. I'm just going to read verse 4. Lord of past ages. Lord of this morning. Lord of the future. Help us, we pray. Teach us to trust you, love you, obey you, crown you each moment. Lord of today. So let us stand and crown him Lord of today. little bit, children, you can come up for the children's talk and James is going to speak to you. But before we do that, we're going to bow our heads in prayer. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are the God of the ages. Lord, that you were there at the beginning, before the beginning. And Lord, that you will be there at the end. And Lord, that you are here today. And Lord, that you are the same God, yesterday, today, and forever. You are unchangeable. And we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you are still that gracious God. That God that is abundant in mercy. A God of steadfast love. And yet, Lord, you are also the God who is holy. The God who is pure. The God who is awesome. Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I pray, Lord, that as we come before you this morning, you'd give us a, a sense of that, maybe a fresh sense if we need it. Lord, that we would have that right fear of you. Lord, some of us this morning rooted, have been thinking about Shipra and Pure, the, the midwives, who feared you more than they feared Pharaoh. And they risked their lives because they knew who you were. Lord, it made such an impact to their lives. And Lord, I pray that we would fear you. Lord, that we would fear you more than anything else. We would fear you more than men and women around us. Lord, that we would live our lives for you because of the awe and the love and the respect and the sense of worship that we have for you. Lord, we thank you so much that you're a speaking God. Lord, we thank you for giving us the book of Nehemiah. Lord, there are so many lessons in it that are just so relevant for us today. Lord, we thank you that your word is living. Lord, it cuts us sometimes like a two-edged sword. But Lord, we thank you that it also heals us. Lord, like surgery. Lord, we thank you that your word is relevant thousands and thousands of years later. That it is engaging Lord, do help us to have ears to hear what you've got to say to us through Nehemiah. Lord, we know that, yes, times have changed, but in many ways, as people, Lord, we're still the same. Lord, we still find ourselves making the same silly mistakes, facing the same fears. Lord, we still need you just as they needed you back then. And so, Lord, I pray that we would come with a sense of our need of you this morning. Lord, we do pray for those who are in the middle of exams. Lord, we thank you that it's half term now. There's a bit of a break, Lord. Some are going on holiday. Others, maybe it gives them a bit more time to revise. Lord, we pray that they'd work hard. We pray that they'd do their best. Lord, we pray that they would serve you more than even they serve themselves as they do these exams. Lord, that they wouldn't be doing it just for themselves. They wouldn't be doing it just for their teachers. But Lord, they would have a sense of wanting to do well to honour you. And Lord, I pray that you give them a real sense of trust in you as well. Lord, as these things can feel very big, Lord, give them a real sense of trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you'd give them a a sense of identity in you as well. Lord, maybe some of them know that already. Lord, we thank you that a good number of people doing their exams know you as their saviour and their Lord. And we pray, Lord, that they would be able to find great comfort that ultimately they are your child, And Lord, I pray for any who don't know that, Lord, that they would know the wonder of being able to pray, our Father, who art in heaven. And Lord, I thank you as well that you made us all different. Lord, we're not all good at the same things, but Lord, you give us all gifts. Lord, I thank you that the church and the church here is so varied, so many different gifts. And Lord, I thank you for how that means that we can do things like Spring Bible Weekend and other events that we put on. Lord, I thank you that we can work together to serve you, to be your body on earth. And Lord, I pray that you would use the things that we've done for your glory. Lord, that Spring Bible Weekend was last weekend, but Lord, we pray that there would still be fruit from that. Lord, we we pray that what they learned in Sunday school this morning would stick with them. Lord, we thank you for the willingness and servant-heartedness of so many here to serve. And Lord, I pray that that would grow, Lord, that we would grow in humility and servant-heartedness, in willingness to, to love you, to serve you, to honour you. Lord, I pray for those on holiday. Lord, we miss them being around today. Lord, we thank you that so many of them, Lord, give so much for you. And Lord, as they're away, Lord, I pray that you'd refresh them, restore them, revive them, encourage them, strengthen them. Lord, I pray that this time away, wherever they are, will be a real blessing to them. And Lord, I pray as well for Hope Explored and for Christianity Explored going on in Lewis Prison soon. Lord, I pray that you'd help Martin and Jane as they head up those things. Thank you for helping them in the past. And Lord, I pray that people would come. Lord, do draw people in. Lord, we thank you for the blessing that has been to people in the past who have been able to ask questions and and find answers. Lord, we pray that you'd reveal yourself through those courses for your glory. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering. Lord, maybe silently. Lord, there are a good number here with physical pain or conditions which just aren't going away. Lord, we'd love them to be healed. Lord, we know you can do that. We pray that you will do that. But Lord, above all, above even that, Lord, we pray that you would be close to them. Lord, show yourself to them. Bless them in their souls, Lord, we pray. And Lord, we pray for those with mental health struggles. Lord, some of these are very private. Lord, it's not always easy for others to see them. And yet, Lord, they are incredibly real. And they are difficult to deal with. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who can heal body and mind. We pray that you would. Lord, we thank you for your care for us. And we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we pray that we as a church would be like him, caring for those around us, loving those around us, considering others more important than ourselves, and sharing the good news whenever we can. And Lord, just lastly as well, Lord, I pray for those whose life, for whom life is really good at the moment. For those who just don't seem to have any worries, Lord, I pray for them. Because, Lord, so often that is when we drift away from you. That is when we are so self-sufficient, or we think we are. Lord, I pray for those for whom life is good, that they would know their need of you, even in the good times. And that they would praise you for the good times, knowing that all good things come from you. So, Lord, do be with us this morning. Lord, do be with John as he speaks to us. Lord, fill in with your spirit. Do hear and answer our prayers, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children, I'd like to invite you up. And James is going to speak to you this morning.
1: Hi, right, good morning. It's lovely to see you. I am gonna tell you today two true stories. Okay. True story number one uh, is about a man, and he was just a normal, everyday chap. And he wasn't perfect, but he wasn't really bad, he was just Mr. Average. Okay. Now this man had lots and lots of friends, and these friends absolutely loved and adored him. Okay. But this man had one real big major flaw, okay? He really struggled with doing something, okay? And he's really struggled with forgiveness, right? So he had a really good friend. He'd been friends with this person for 15, 17 years, and they were close like brothers. They did everything on the planet together, okay? And then one day, they were having a conversation And this guy's friend just said one word. He was answering a question to this chap, and it was a one-word answer. And he gave one word answer. And this guy took offence to it. That was it. Friendship over. Gone. Done. The guy got up, just looked him in the eye and said, that's it, we're done. Walked off. And they never spoke again. He never, ever forgave that friend for that one word answer. And even if he saw that friend in the street or he was out somewhere and they bumped into each other, he would just blank him like that guy never existed in his life. That was the end of it, done. And that was after knowing this chap for like 15 or 17 years, he just managed to throw that away. But then true story number two is we're gonna look at it in another way. There's another man, okay, And this man has been sentenced to death. The cruelest death possible. Okay, So while he's being marched to his death, people are hitting him. They're kicking him. They're punching him. They're spitting on him. They are whipping him. And then this poor guy gets to this place of death and they crucify him. The most painful death ever. And he's hanging there with a criminal on each side of him. Okay? And after all this he's gone through, all this pain, this torment, this humiliation, do you know what that man said? Can you, does anyone here know what that man said? Any idea? No? Nearly. You are, ooh, that could have been a gold star. Honestly, honestly, it could have been in the gold book. He actually turned around and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Okay? He asked for forgiveness for the two criminals on either side of him. And he asked forgiveness from God for all those people who had treated him so terribly, so badly. He asked God to forgive them. Now, If you look at both stories, we've got one person this end of the spectrum, boom. And Jesus, obviously the other person, is this end of the spectrum. These two men could not be further apart if they tried. Okay? But we're going to now look at it from the inside out. Who do you think... Seriously, if everyone gets this answer wrong, it's not going to be good. Who do we think is the better person? Jesus, of course. Jesus is the better person. So we don't ever want to be like this guy, do we? Who never forgave his friend. 17-year friendship. Boop, thrown away. Gone. Boop, that's it. Over. We never, ever want to be like this guy. We want to aim to be Jesus, okay? And I know it's difficult when you're growing up. We have people at school. I see it every day who can be mean, they can say rude words, sometimes they can be physical, you know. But instead of retaliating, instead of going, right,
2: that's it.
1: Which is, in all of us, we all want to do that. It's a natural reaction. I want you guys to think about this chap, Jesus. I want you to try and be more like him. I want you to forgive people when they wrong us. Because if we start showing forgiveness... We will change their lives, just like Jesus has changed so many. We show them forgiveness, they might change and not be like they are. They might stop hurting people, or being rude, or being mean, or doing whatever they're doing that's wrong. So the point I really want you to take away from this is never be chap A, no matter what happens. I want you guys to always try and be chap B. I want you to be more like Jesus. So when someone does something wrong to you at school or in the street, or at the park, or wherever you are. And it happens to us all. I have it happen to me. you know. And sometimes even I've gone a bit like, (sighs) I'm just going to, yeah, explode. But I don't. I try and be a little bit more like Jesus. It's not easy. But we've got to learn to show forgiveness. And by showing forgiveness, we will change those people's lives. Does that sound good? Can we all try and do that for me? Excellent. Thank you for listening. Back to your seats.
0: Thanks, James. Wouldn't it be amazing, children, if some of your friends came to know Jesus because of what you've done for them? We're going to sing again our second uh, song. Jesus is Lord, the cry that echoes through creation with power, eternal word, our rock. stand and sing. Mm -hmm.
3: I'd like to read to you a few verses from the New Testament, from Acts chapter 6. That's um, on page uh, 914, if you're following in the Church Bibles, but it will be displayed. And these uh, seven verses are, are often seen as the appointment of the first deacons. So that's why I'm reading them. Acts 6 and verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, as uh, many of you know, over the months uh, as a church, we've been Uh, praying over the need for new deacons and uh, been looking to discern the will of God over this matter as to those who would be suited to serve us as a church and serve the Lord in this way and uh, I'm very pleased and thankful to announce that as a result this week the church uh, elected two of our men to serve as deacons and they are uh, Tim David and uh, Pete Dinich. Uh, We have many men who serve in different ways, uh, but these, we felt, would be particularly suited to serve with our other deacons in the matters of practical coordination in the life of the church. Uh, The New Testament places a big encouragement to those who serve in this way. Good, spiritually-minded deacons are a great support to the ministry of the church, to its unity and to the spread of the gospel. Uh, both uh, Tim and Pete uh, have been appointed with an amazing, almost unanimous support of the church, which has been so encouraging. And they join our other deacons who are Steve Baldwin, David Bishop, uh, Roger Dickinson, Rob Hook and Peter Turner to serve amongst the deacon's team Um, and in line with the New Testament uh, I'm going to ask them to come down to the front so that we can publicly acknowledge their appointment and so that Mark and I can pray for them on behalf of you as a church so uh, Tim and Pete I know you don't love the limelight but if you wouldn't mind just sort of coming and being this side of me and Mark will join us Yeah, well, if I can extend on on behalf of the church how pleased we are, how thankful we are, your willingness to serve in this way, the way that God has led us in this way, and for your appointment. It's just such a great pleasure. Uh, People will be praying for you individually, but uh, we want to pray for you uh, at the start of this area of service, if you like, publicly as a church. So I'm going to pray, and then Mark's going to pray. Lord of the Church, we come to you this morning acknowledging you as the Lord over all things and the one whom we serve. And we come with thanksgiving for the way you have blessed us and led us as a church. We have felt the need for new deacons to carry on the work of service and you have provided for us. We're so thankful for Tim and for Pete for their suitability for the way in which they're willing to serve in this role for the blessing they have been already in the life of this church we thank you for the wonderful sense of unity we felt as a church over appointing them to this role we praise you for that for the encouragement it is for both of them and for the blessing it is amongst us as believers here at Forest Fold. And as this day we publicly acknowledge their appointment, we lovingly commit them to you, and we pray for great blessing on them now and in the future.
0: And this we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Yes, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Tim and for Pete. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in their lives Lord, for saving them. Lord, for graciously revealing yourself to them. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you've been sanctifying them. Lord, working in their lives, making them more like you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for how they meet the criteria set out. Lord, we thank you for the blessing that they've been to so many in the church. Lord, we thank you uh, for what you've done in their life, Lord, teaching them so many things, often through difficult circumstances. Lord, we pray that you bless them, continue to be with them as they take on this new role. Lord, we thank you that you are the same God yesterday, today and forever. And Lord, I pray that as they go into this role, Lord, that they would continue to rely on your grace and on your goodness to continually trust in you and in you alone. Lord, we do pray that you bless them in their souls. And Lord, I do bring uh, before you their families as well. Lord, as they uh, take on in some way a small part of the role. Lord, I pray that you bless them. They too would have a real sense of uh, love for you and willingness. And you bless their souls too. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who blesses as we serve. So Lord, do be with them, help them, strengthen them. Lord, I pray that we may be a blessing to them as they are a blessing to us. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Amen. Do feel free to sit
0: down and you're carrying on, Mark. Well, we've got our reading now and we're in Nehemiah chapter 6. And we'll be reading Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 to chapter 7, verse 5. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 1. Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Gishim and the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come. And let us meet together at Hakufirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Samballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands." Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mahatabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced a prophecy against me, because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way, and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the war was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was a son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah. And his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshullam, son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now, when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many and I said to them let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot and while they are still standing guard let them shut and bar the doors appoint guards from them uh, from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes the city was wide and large but the people within it were few And no houses have been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first. And I found written in it. And we're going to stop there. And uh, There's a long list of names and numbers which John has kindly uh, let me off from reading. Well, before John comes and speaks to us in just a moment... Uh, We're going to sing our third song, which fits with uh, the theme of John's message this morning. Yes, finish the Messiah dies. Just going to read the start of verse 3. The reign of sin and death is done, and all may live from sin set free. Satan and his pretended throne are swallowed up in victory. Let's stand and sing.
3: So we move to Nehemiah 6 and 7 not unconnected but what we've just been thinking about and our theme is doing a great work that's the title, doing a great work, it's a phrase that comes up in chapter 6 and verse 3 and uh, it's also the, the title of uh, one of the books I've got on Nehemiah, there's a series, a well and commentary series by EP, the a generally, a very good uh, series, some of them exceptionally good, and the one on Ezra and Nehemiah is called Doing a Great Work. Doing a Great Work by Stan Evers. Doing a Great Work is our title this morning. I don't know if it's what you would use to describe what you were doing. Doing a Great Work. Would you describe aspects of your life in that way? doing a great work. If you're doing what God wants you to do, then you are doing a great work. And Nehemiah felt he was, and Jesus uh, certainly was, and the church should be doing a great work, and it often is, and it often doesn't realise it, and forgets doing great a great work. We've been tracking this uh, wall-building project, haven't we? A wall-building project around Jerusalem to God's honour that was on the heart of Nehemiah. We've seen the work started. We've seen the tremendous team effort as they've worked together on its building We've seen some of the difficulties they've had from outside, but also in the home groups we looked at some of the difficulties from within the community. And in a way, today we are on the final straight. Last time it was sort of half rebuilt, but there is real progress this time in the building of that wall around the city. So we're looking at chapters 6 and 7 of Nehemiah. Although I'll only briefly draw in uh, chapter 7, so more on chapter 6. Now about 10 days ago, uh, I was uh, driving down Upper Grosvenor Road in Tunbridge Wells. I was in a car actually, driving down uh, Upper Grosvenor Road in Tunbridge Wells. My daughter Beth uh, was next to me and she was doing the driving. I found myself saying to her, don't lose the game in injury time. Don't lose the game in injury time. Uh, she'd come home uh, for a driving test. Picked her up about, It's very difficult to get these driving tests as you perhaps know these days, so she's had to come all the way back from Nottingham. And uh, I picked her up at uh, about five o'clock on on the the, um, Tuesday. We were having two hours of driving around Tunbridge Wells before she had her test the next morning at eight o'clock. And as part of that, we were driving down Upper Grosvenor Road, which uh, approaches the test centre. And so could well be the last final stretch of her test. So I found myself saying, don't lose the game in injury time. In other words, you're getting, you're getting close now to the end of the test. Don't lose concentration. Don't relax too much. Make sure you see it through to the end. Well, thankfully the next day she didn't lose the game in injury time. She nearly lost it at a roundabout earlier on in the test, but thankfully she got through and that was a tremendous relief. Nehemiah is approaching the end of his main project and he mustn't lose focus. He must keep on his toes, he must keep on his guard. And as we're thinking of Nehemiah's work here in these Couple of chapters. We're going to look at um, three different aspects of what it is that he's doing, and in it, I think we'll see some encouragement for us in our callings and in our life. And I think we, as well, have some things which point us to Jesus. Going to spend quite a bit more on the first one, briefer on the second two. We're going to look at his work in three ways. Firstly, we're going to be thinking of the undiverted. Work. I don't think this is on an undiverted work now we might hope that Nehemiah and co can sort of uh, take their foot off the gas Um, uh, take it a bit easy as they approach the end sort of wave to the crowd if you like and stroll through the finishing tape but that's not going to be how it is in chapter 6, uh, we find actually an intensifying of the opposition to the work of God which Nehemiah is doing. It reaches, if you like, new levels that it hasn't reached to before. It becomes uh, subtle, it becomes sinister, it becomes quite personal, personal attacks on Nehemiah himself. Those who don't want God's on God to be honoured are seeking to sort of derail the project. And it happens in a few ways, in three ways. Uh, first, uh, the, the, the wall is um, pretty well there, all but the doors are now in place. And Sam Ballot and his buddies, we've come across them in the past, are starting to panic. As they see the progress being made on the wall, how close the things are getting. So they send a message to Nehemiah. Meet us in the plain of Ono. And if you allow me to be corny, Nehemiah in his mind responds to the invitation to meet in the plain of Ono with a plain Ono. Oh, he knows it's not a genuine gesture. They plan harm. And in each of these attacks that we have under this heading, these three waves of opposition, we put up what he says each time because I just think it's so rich and helpful and so significant. And this is what he says to them. I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? They were trying to divert him and to distract him. And he knows the value of what he's doing and he doesn't want to get sidetracked, does he? Satan loves to distract people from what they should be doing. You have a sense of what your main callings in life are. To serve God, to... To serve your family, to spread the gospel, to work hard in the responsibilities entrusted to you. You find it easy to be drawn away, diverted, lose focus, to neglect them for lesser things. How easy it is, isn't it? Don't you find to get distracted from our time of prayer? How many suggestions come to your mind when you're about to pray of other things you could do? Even if it's just planned to be a short time of prayer, soon distracted. How easy it is to lose our focus on the Christian service we've undertaken. Or the priority of Christian worship with others in our lives. How easy it is to feel that investing our time, perhaps in our children, is unimportant. And don't we need to realise what Nehemiah felt? I am doing a good work. You lost a sense of that. I am doing a good work. I am doing what God has want, wants me to do, has tasked me to do. I am doing a good work. What are the main works that God has given you to do at this stage of life? you realise it's a great work, and say with Nehemiah, I am doing a good work and I cannot come down, why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? That's the, the first wave. Then, after then, second, after I have done that several times, several times, uh, Sam Ballat and his chums try this attempt without success, Now, Nehemiah's enemies try a different tack. And they send an open letter to Nehemiah. Well, what's that mean, an open letter? Well, I mean, it's not sort of private and confidential and enclosed. It's not in the envelope, we might say. Anyone who has it and passes it on can read it, and they're meant to read it. The aim is for lots of people to read it and for the sort of the bongo drums to sound, for people to start gossiping on the grapevine to get the word out. It's deliberately an open letter. Well, what's in the letter? Well, this is the letter. We have it in verses 6 and, seven. and notice how this is uh, um, especially targeted to ring Persian alarm bells, verses 6 and 7. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall, and according to these reports you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king, the king of Persia, will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. And Nehemiah plays this with a, a straight and a firm bat. Verse 8, we see what he says. No such thing as you say has been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Now there are times, aren't there, where we have to get involved with clearing up misinformation, um, things that aren't true, need to spend time on it and get it sorted. However, often there there are times when it's wise just not to get drawn in to things that are being said about us or the work, which are groundless. It's not true. You're making it up. I'm getting on with the job. I'm not going to stop. He could see what they were doing. That's clear in verse nine the thing that you are doing is sorry verse nine of chapter six for they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done but now oh god strengthen my hands praise to god commits it to him gives a straight answer gets on with the job in answer to this second wave with an open letter and uh, it may be the case that you are serving God, and you have people misrepresenting you, and it and it's wrong, and, and it hurts, and it's frightening. It was aimed to be frightening, and it's distressing. But you just can't waste the hours trying to clear it up, and you have to entrust it to God. You have to just be clear in your own mind. It's not true. I'm not going to be stopped. I'm going to keep on with the job that, given me, that God has given me to do. I'm doing a great work. And then in this sort of final stretch phase of undiverted work, we got we have a third attempt. And this third attempt has a different face to it. We have Shemiah. Now this poor fellow is is housebound to some extent, it seems. But there's a, a limit to how much pity he deserves because of what he's up to. Because of the difficulties, he encourages Nehemiah to be hidden in the temple and to escape trouble. And it, it may have sounded quite spiritual because he was a prophet, so-called prophet, and he was telling Nehemiah to come into the temple. But Nehemiah is very clear. This would be negligent of his responsibility and it would be wrong. It would be a sin because he is not a priest so he shouldn't go to the inner part of the temple. And so those all put in a very flattering way, Nehemiah has no time for it. And in fact we realise that um, Sam Ballot and his friends have, have put up this fellow by paying him, he's hired to do this, verse 13, for this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. So what was Nehemiah's response to this sort of third wave to shift his focus and to stop the work? Well, here we have it. Verse 11. Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. There are frighteners to to God's work, yeah. things that um, maybe you find make you want to do a run. I've found that so many times, I, hundreds of times I could say, I felt like running away from responsibility. We do have things which intimidate us, frighten us, deter us. Now it's not to say that there's never a time to retire or to hand on responsibility, or to lower our responsibility profile, or to wind down. But sometimes we could be tempted to do it when it's clearly not right. We can be tempted to be frightened on, off course when the Lord would have us keep going. And at times like this, it's good to, to sort of say, like Nehemiah, should such a man, or should such a woman, should such a, a man as I, Run away? And what man should I go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Keeping going with this service to the end. Um, Andrew Corn, some of you know Andrew Corn. He was the previous uh, vicar at All Saints up the road. And uh, Andrew was and is a good friend. As is Steve Rees, the the current vicar. I'm thankful to God for both of them. But I remember with Andrew, as he was approaching retirement, um, and of some of the things he shared with me in his last sort of year or year and a half before he finished at All Saints. And some of the ways he put things made a a big impression on me. He was so keen uh, for his last stint to be his best stint. He was really keen to work flat out for those remaining months. He wanted to serve his Lord all he could until he finished and it was his final day. And he passed that on to me several times in times of prayer or conversation. I was very impressed by it. Now, Andrew Corns is exceptional as a a character and as a person and, and Many of us, perhaps most of us, do need to wind down at the end of responsibilities. That's why we're getting to the end of responsibilities. We haven't the capacity we used to have to do what we did. But it's a good reminder to us not to wind down too much, excessively. He wasn't going to lose the match in injury time. He wasn't going to relax his focus on the final straight. He wasn't going to get diverted from the great work which God had given him to do. Now, it's not just Christian leaders who need to be encouraged not to be diverted from what God has called them to do. Christians taking on gospel work and areas of service in life. Need to be encouraged. Indeed, all of us in our normal paid work that God has called us to do in our everyday calling to serve well, to serve Him, to be seeing it as doing a great work. Caring for a loved one, even though it gets hard. Being a good friend. looking out for a neighbour, carrying on with the responsibility of being a parent, being undiverted from God's calling because we're doing a great work. Now Nehemiah points us in, I hope you felt this in a good direction, but even more he points us to someone else. Who else does he point to? Who else had uh, three onslaughts from opposition to divert him from the work he came to do? You think of Jesus, who was tempted three times in different ways by Satan, each time trying to divert him from the work of going to the cross to lay down his life for sinners. Each time presenting an easier way out of the situation. And each time Jesus remaining unmoved and resolute, quoting God's word and being prepared to go forward in serving God right to the end to lay down his life for others so that all who put their trust in him could be forgiven. Now this morning, you may feel a failure in your calling. You feel that isn't what we've been through. You may feel you've let God down. You may feel you got diverted, you gave way under slander, you were frightened away by difficulties. But ultimately, your confidence, your joy is not in your own performance, it's in the fact that you have a saviour who was undiverted and went all the way to the cross to die for you. Next two points are briefer, as I said. It's good news. We move from a an undiverted work to a finished work. should be verses 15 to 17. We hit verse 15. So the wall was finished. Very brief, isn't it? So the wall was finished. They got there. The effort paid off. They could stand back and look and see the walls complete. No more ruins. No more rubble. Pucker walls. New gates. As befitting a city, the city of God as it is in Old Testament times. All the opposition attempts had failed. And there have been many of them. But the wall was complete and so quick. Did you see that verse 15? So the wall was finished, gives you the day of the month, in 52 days. Tremendous, intense effort. 52 days to, to build the wall around, or repair the wall around Jerusalem. Worth noticing that this was a short period project. If I can just say this to sort of a little bit, balance out some of the other things I've said, so this was an intense short period project so there were working, if you like, day and night, tremendously concerted effort, but it was for a, a shortish period, it reminds me of uh, another one of the local um, uh, fellow ministers in this area who, who doesn't live here now but um, who I talked to at a point where he was getting a bit low in his service and a bit worn out and burnt out and he said to me, my wife and I have realised that we're still trying to serve, if you like, with student intensity. though so we're part of a, a CU mission and we've got family and we've been serving for many years and we just can't sustain it. We do need a pattern of life which is sustainable. The Nehemiah thing was very intense, but it was over a short period. But it's so impressive what they did in that time It impresses, if you like, it scares the neighbours. The neighbours have a self-esteem problem. Verse 16, And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around of us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. The enemies were humbled. God had helped them. He had so clearly helped them, he'd put it in Nehemiah's heart. He providentially opened up the way. He put it in the hearts of others to help. He facilitated the work. It was God's work. God sponsoring the work. God blessing the work. And it was finished. And it's good, isn't it, to thank God for finished work when you get to the end of your stint, when the major project is over, when the children's Bible week, which took so much stress, is behind now with thanksgiving. When the exam period has come to an end and you feel that with God's help you've done your best. I feel thankful this morning. Um, Realising the need for new deacons and working it through as a church, praying over it, conversations, consultations, um, I find it quite a strain over over many months. It's a big concern. And when we get to days like today uh, uh, with the appointment of new deacons, I just feel so relieved and thankful. God has brought us to this point and we have an outcome and we can go forward. A finished work. But the theme of a finished work also sends me to somebody else other than Nehemiah. Remember Jesus praying, John 17, the day before he went to the cross. Verse 4, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And he went all the way to the cross, not diverted, and he died taking on himself the shame and the sin of others. He dealt with sin's curse and its penalty, He bore it so that if you trust in him, you can be accepted, right with God, heading for glory. And what did he say on the cross? We've been reminded of some of the words, Father, forgive them. There were other words a bit later on, briefer, it is finished. Jesus, on the cross, did that work of dying for others, dying once for sin, so that you and I, we're trusting in him are completely forgiven a finished work now uh, a dash of chapter 7 with the rest of chapter 6 and uh, in some ways this might seem strange to call it this given where we've got to but you'll see the sense of it an ongoing work an ongoing work anyways the great work of Nehemiah is done the wall is built. That's what he's famous for. Yet the book doesn't end at uh, Nehemiah 6, verse 15. There's another phase. Certain other things that need to be done, some of them straight away. Uh, One work usually does lead on to some others, some later stages and phases. And here, well, there's still quite a lot of opposition, There's some security measures that need to be put in place. Um, There are some key appointments which need to be made. And uh, there's an empty city that needs to be filled. Let me just briefly home in on a, a couple of those. The city needs ongoing leadership. So Nehemiah himself is not enough and he won't always be around. So two leaders are appointed for the ongoing work and Character is key to them. We have it in verse 2 of chapter 7. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. Why? For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. The appointment of leaders is often a massive part of an ongoing work. And it's relevant today because we have appointed two people in the life of this church and in our minds, the way in which God has blessed them in their character has been part of what we're doing and we feel very thankful for that and I do for the way in which it's a platform as we go forward in the life of the church. But there's another big problem. Jerusalem has a wall but it's largely empty there aren't people living in it there aren't houses inside verse 4 the city was wide and large but the people within it were few and no houses has been rebuilt it needs to be repopulated with people and with houses and Nehemiah you see in verse 5 of chapter 7 calls people together to address this Then my God put him to my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And as he does this, he stumbles across a big list of uh, of their grandparents and of their great-grandparents. This big long list in in chapter 7 is an old list. In fact, it's already been in the Bible, in Ezra chapter 2. It's pretty well copied and pasted from Ezra chapter 2. And we might say, Nehemiah, why on earth is this in your book? You've had an action-packed time, you've been building the wall, there's been lots of opposition, and now you stop it to write out a register. This is why. Nehemiah's reminding them of the bigger picture that they're involved with. They are in the line of these bold, courageous folk who first came back to Jerusalem nearly 90 years ago and had it on their heart for the city to be rejuvenated and to be flourishing. And as they heard their grandparents' and great-grandparents' names read out, they're reminded of what they did and of what they were to do, and it would prepare their heart to be concerned for Jerusalem, and for some of them, as time goes on, to move into the city for it to be flourishing. I hope this will make the link. Um, I thought of it this morning, so I hope it... it, it, I I have an older photo. I've taken a a little um, picture of it on my mobile and transferred it into the PowerPoint, so it's not high quality, and uh, maybe it's relevant to today in some ways and to this point. Uh, it's a picture of uh, the deacons at Forest Fold about 20 years ago. So we've had some others appointed since, and they're not on the photo, but this is around 20 years ago or so. And uh, some of us were younger in those days, and some of us were smarter in those days, you'll notice that. Uh, but uh, some of you have been around a bit longer. You see faces there and, and you think of them and you think of their life and you think of their their ministry and their influence. And um, it may be for Tim and Pete today. They, they know some of them, probably all of them. And uh, maybe they're appointed to deacons as a role of deacons. I know things have changed a little bit. We didn't have elders in those days, it was pastor and deacons. But as they think back to some of those men they know, respected and love, um, it could well have a, be, be inspirational and encouraging. Thinking well, yes, these men served the Lord here at the church and they did it with good heart. They're a blessing to people and I'm following in their footsteps and it puts the wind in their sails as they go forward in service. Maybe it, it will. And in a way, that's what's happening here at the end of Nehemiah. He's listing the people who were there in the past, who committed to repopulating, refreshing, rejuvenating, reviving the city, and he's really saying, you are in the line of these people, and we need to get into the city, and we need to get things right, And we need to get things moving. An ongoing work. Well, each time we've pointed to Jesus, Jesus, though dying on the cross, has an ongoing work in glory and an ongoing work on earth. We are part of that work. He equips, appoints others to do the work. He gives his spirit for the work to be done. We sometimes talk of a task unfinished, passing on the gospel. We sometimes sing, we bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose, as is the same commission, the same glad message ours, fired by the same ambition, to thee we yield our powers. An ongoing work of ingathering, of bringing people into the, the kingdom, into the church, of populating those that are safe in Christ. And in doing so, we are doing a great work. And we don't want to lose our focus. And we don't want to relax too much on the final straight. Plenty to think about this morning from Nehemiah 6 and 7. Let's go to our last song. The last song has a, a, a combination of both seeking to serve to the end ourselves and... Uh, thinking of jesus who's gone before us so it combines nicely we sung this quite a bit a few years ago when we were going through hebrews 11 but i think it'd be good to sing it this morning you'll you'll know the tune it's the chariots of fire tune so let's sing together the heroes of scripture with hearts full of faith us to realise that in doing what you want us to do, we are doing a great work. Help us not to be diverted from it. We thank you for Jesus and for his completed work on the cross, which is our salvation and our fuel for service. We pray that the things we've looked at this morning may be a blessing and an encouragement to us as we live for you in our lives. Amen.